Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We are on a, th- a three-year uh, journey through, through the scriptures together using the Gospel Project curriculum, and we are uh, in the book of Old Testament book of Daniel, but today we're, we're slipping into the New Testament to take a, a one-week look at uh, Matthew chapter 1, because, of course, it is Christmas, uh, Christmas time. I, I, looking at Jamari this morning, uh, he's gone now, but his, when he was there, uh, he was one of, the, one of the babies who played uh, Jesus. I know he's kind of young to be an actor, but he's one of the babies that played Jesus in our live nativity uh, week ago Saturday, and I c- couldn't help but notice that his little eyes and, and the eyes of this little baby here look very similar, and it's kind of neat. Um, I think it was, we did, a, we did a, a bit of a survey. Josh uh, did a bit of an online survey with some of the people that came to our, on, our, uh, live nati- our uh, Christmas in the Village celebration and one of the questions that he asked was what was your favorite thing what did you enjoy the the best the most or whatever and uh, what do you think people's top answer was <laughs> yeah the, the live nativity is what they said but that was one of the things that they could check off and and that's what they uh, most people said that was the thing they enjoyed the most and uh, and I, I just I just thought it was so so cool having uh, having those uh, uh, I thank Mike and Christy for being a part of that, and and OJ and Amanda and their family, and uh, and uh, who was the other? There was one more teen, Olivia and Josiah. Yeah, and and there were some other other young people that helped them there and everything. So uh, it was awesome. Anyways, we are in Matthew chapter one. And we probably should read the whole chapter together for context this morning, but I'll spare myself uh, from having to try and correctly pronounce um, um, all those names. Um, I lower the stand and then I raise it, and, and some of you know why I do that, and some of you have no idea why I do that, but you will someday. All right, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start reading at verse uh, uh, 18. Matthew 1, 18 through 25, which is the last verse of the chapter. Excuse me. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I just want to stop there just for a second because it occurred to me that as we're reading here, some of you, some people might call husband, divorce, they didn't realize that they were married, um, and I'm not going to take time to get all in with this morning. But I, but uh, it's it's uh, probably worth taking a moment just to say that our concept of marriage very tends to be different than what it was in first century uh, Judaism, and um, you know we talk we have discussions about marriage in our day, and you know. The, talk about changing the definition of marriage and stuff like that, and you know, you, which is really quite silly because you can't change the definition of, of, of a word. If you do, you've changed what it is. You've changed the meaning of something. You, know, you can call an orange an apple, but it doesn't make it an apple. 
you've just taken the meaning away from the word is all you've done. And so in, in scripture, they were not technically married, but they were betrothed. And so that was a sacred pledge. And a lot of our lack of understanding as to how these things work uh, results in some of the misunderstandings in our day as to what, what is marriage anyway? And I would encourage you this morning, we won't, as I say, we won't go into it this morning, but I would encourage you to take some time sometime if you're married or thinking about being married or, or uh, would like to be married or, 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 or just, or, or just uh, uh, yeah, if, or if you've been divorced, just take a look. Do, take a look at what the Bible says about marriage and, uh, and, about, and about divorce. Um, so that we can un- so that you, we can understand what what we're talking about. It's it's an important subject. We won't get into that today. It says that at her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, verse twenty, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, "Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife." For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's just pray with me for a moment. Lord, this passage of Scripture is um, what you have given to us, and you've given it to us this day to focus our thoughts on, and we just pray, Lord, that you would accomplish your will in our lives through your word for us today. By the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That's verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. The author is setting out for us here uh, two fundamental things in this passage concerning Jesus, if you, if you will. He wants us to know that Jesus came into this world the way that you and I came into this world, which is by birth. We were born into uh, this, this human family. And so Jesus was born because he was born like you and I were born. Because he is one of us. However, he also is setting out for us at the same time that while Jesus was a baby boy who grew to be a man and how he was born a human being just like you and I, that secondly, he wants us to know that Jesus came into this world unlike you or I. And this is made obvious by the statement in verse 18 the way he came. So he came by birth, but not an ordinary birth. And that's what the passage goes on to explain. It was a birth just like all others and yet different. 
Different how? Different in the most telling way. And that's what the author now explains. Verse 18, when uh, his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So while Jesus was a human being, he was and is divine. And before we go any farther in the text, if we stop right there for a moment and just recognize what we call the mystery of the incarnation. Emma, are you home? Oh, you're not staying, but you're home for a visit. Well, that's better than not being home at all. It's not as good as being home to stay, but it's good. I didn't even see you there. Now everybody sees you. Are you still looking for a man? No, just kidding. All right. I have no idea what, why I said that. But this is a very public place, isn't it? Um... I've known her ever since she was born. I can probably get away with some things, but I think I might have just crossed the line there. Uh, okay. All right, we'll talk. Uh, mystery. Mystery of the incarnation. I call it a mystery, because, and I think we refer to it as a mystery, because we, we don't really understand, and, and there's no way we can really understand how God did this. I mean, all we're told is that uh, in the clear language of the text, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So there's no, no real explanation as to how God did that, only that he did it. And, and therein lies the mystery that a, a woman uh, conceived, that a child was conceived within a woman's body without a man's uh, participation. That's why we refer to it as the virgin birth. Scripture teaches it. Scripture presents it to us. There's no question but that it's a mystery that Jesus Christ was and is both God and man, that he uh, is even now both God and man, but how uh, God uh, brought that to be is a, is a mystery, but it is absolutely how Scripture presents him to us. And people question that, and you, you, can, you can certainly question the deity of Jesus Christ, but it seems pretty clear to me that that's how Scripture presents Jesus. He's not just, just a man. He's God in the flesh. Incarnation, the word incarnation, uh, literally means in flesh. God in flesh. God becoming one of us. And it's a mystery, but it makes sense of so many other mysteries in Scripture. Like, for example, uh, when we think about Christ. Um, 
death, we sometimes wonder, how is it possible that one person could die for the sins of the whole world? And if that one person was only just a man, yeah, that wouldn't really make sense. But Jesus wasn't just a man. He was also divine. He was the son of God. And as the son of God, he could offer his life for all of our lives. And that's an important part. That's that's an important ramification, if you will, of the biblical teaching of the deity of Jesus. That he he could actually save us because he was divine. Because he is the son of God. The resurrection, likewise, you know, is an incredible thing. You think, you know, how is it possible that a man could rise from the dead? If he was just a man, I don't, I don't think I could believe that. But I'm thankful that the Bible teaches that Jesus was a man, but he was also the Son of God. And so when we think about the meaning of Christmas and the wonder of it, of it all, and the wonder of, of the Christmas story and the Christmas celebration and the Christmas season, you know, what's, what's it all about? What's, what's that meaning that <laughs> you don't get it from television shows, okay? Because they really, really don't have even a sweet clue when they're presenting the meaning of Christmas. I, watched, I was watching a show the other day, and and somebody said something about the meaning. That's what Christmas means, right? And it's like so far off. I couldn't even believe it. But anyways, what does it mean? This is it right here. The wonder of the incarnation. The wonder of the, the birth of the Savior. Born born like you and I. But, but at the same time, very, very different than you and I. The eternal Son of God. Verse 19, it's, it's in her husband Joseph being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph. Um, we know he was of the tribe and lineage of David. It says right in the text that the, uh, the angel referred to him as uh, son of David, Joseph, son of David. Uh, and we know he was a just man because it says, again, it says so in, 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 the, in the text. He was a, a just man, and that's why... He, he, he was unwilling to put her to shame. You see that there, verse 19? Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to, didn't want to embarrass her, didn't want to hurt her. Um, now, legally, he could have. Um, you know, based on the information that he had and what he was had to work with, he was pretty sure, you know, where things stood judicially, he could just put her away quietly, divorce her quietly, because, of course, he's assuming that she was unfaithful, right? Um, and this, I, I won't, again, don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it, it, I think it's worth mentioning that this idea that Joseph was a just man um, and uh, that he, uh, Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. The overlooking of an offense. First uh, Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And 1 Corinthians 6, 
maybe more to the point. And bear with me on this because it, I, it might not, the connection might not be obvious at first. But it says, uh, verses 1 through 8, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do, not, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there be no one among you wise enough to settle disputes uh, between, between brothers? A brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Um, there's tucked in there, there's this idea of, of overlooking an offense. You know, you could say, well, I have my rights, you know. Joseph had his rights. He decided not to act on those rights. Even be before the angel even came to him and said, it's okay, Joseph. Before, when he only had, all, the only information he had to go on was what you would have had to go on or I would have had to go on, which is the woman that was betrothed to me has been unfaithful to me. And he had every right to publicly make an issue of it. And he chose, because, and the text says because he was a just man. I, and all I want to just point out there is, is that you know, the, the incredible connection in Scripture between justice and mercy and, and the, the virtue of overlooking an offense. Maybe you're here today and you've been wronged. What do you do with that? You know, talk about the meaning of words and the meaning of the word marriage. What about the meaning of the word forgiveness? What does that mean? What does it actually mean to forgive somebody? Where's the justice in that? What makes it hard for people to forgive often is that sense of justice. We, our hearts cry out for justice when somebody has, has done something that, that hurts us or offends us. Uh, you know, we cry out for justice. We want, we want justice. Where does mercy come into that? What does it mean to forgive? How can there be both justice and mercy? Well, that's the gospel, isn't it? We don't watch a lot of TV in my house. We watch a little bit, and uh, I watch some TV. Folks watch some TV. Uh, we, we watch basically the news and Matlock reruns. <laughs> and uh, I'll leave to you to decide who watches what. But, um, but I, I've been amazed lately how many uh, uh, injury law firm an announcements I'm seeing on television. I can count... I can't even count on my hand now how many, I, you know, I, I, different law firms I've seen commercials, you know, in the last few days. Uh, um, you know, have you been injured? Talk to us, you know. Um, it reminds me of what things were, you know, how the, uh, the, in the U.S., you know, you have this litigation culture where, you know, any chance you get, you just sue the pants off of anybody you can. And that's because if you have a chance to get ahead, you know, who cares about anybody else? And, and, I, and I don't, I'm not saying that that's never appropriate. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that we have to be very careful that we don't 
um, have a, a mindset that is a, where we conceive of justice without mercy and where we're not willing, especially as Christians. I read a story one time about a, a fellow and there was a, there was a church meeting of some kind going on, some, some kind going on, and they were having a, a discussion with something, and there was a disagreement, and I know you find it hard to imagine this, but this was actually like a, just a, kind of a free-for-all, you know, and everybody was getting upset, and one guy apparently stood up in the, the, the middle of the meeting, and he was really upset, and he said, I, I, and at one point he just, he says, I will not be denied, denied, I will have my rights. And the old guy behind him said, sir, if you had your rights, you'd be in hell. What's it mean to overlook an offense? What is forgiveness? Just some things to think about. It says that Joseph was a just man. What does that mean? The passage unpacks it a little bit for us. He didn't claim his rights. He chose instead not to claim his rights and not to and to do things that were thoughtful for the other person even though he was pretty sure they didn't really deserve it. And that's what grace is, isn't it? Verse um, 20. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. An angel appeared to Joseph in his dream, and uh, we don't know if this is the same angel that appeared to Mary uh, because uh, we're not told, but it's pretty likely because uh, the angel that appeared to Mary, we're told, we're told that that was the angel Gabriel. And, uh, but but the, the purpose of the dream, uh, the an angels appearing in Joseph's dream here, was to confirm that Mary had not been unfaithful to him, but that this was a supernatural work, supernatural birth by a work of the Holy Spirit, and that the result would be a son who would to be named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. That's what the passage says. Jesus means um, God is salvation, or his name means God is salvation, or, or God to the rescue, is what some of us like to say. That's what the name Jesus means. You will name him, call him Jesus, because uh, he will save his people. Now, the response of Joseph and the response of Mary over in the book of Luke is um, significant, I think. Um, you know, how they responded, how Joseph responded here um, in obedience to uh, what uh, God re revealed to them. Um, and the response tells us a lot about, about them, I, I think. You know, uh, these weren't just a couple of kids that were wanting to get married. Um, it's probable that Joseph was uh, quite a bit older than Mary. That's most likely in the cultural, historical, biblical context. And, uh, and I want 
for you to think just a moment about the cultural, historical, biblical context because when we're reading a passage like this uh, or any biblical passage, we have um, a challenge, you know. Uh, um, it's, it's tempting to just project ourselves on the passage. It's very tempting for us to say, wow, how would I, what would I do if I was Joseph? And it's okay to ask yourself that question as long as you're really diligent to make sure that you understand the differences between you and Joseph. As long as it, we're okay, as long as we're uh, diligent to, to really get to know what it would have been like to be Joseph, which means learning more about the, the context and more about the cultural, historical, biblical context. Um, because the response is, is significant. Over in Luke, the response of Mary, have you read that this Christmas season? What they call the Magnificat, Mary's song, Mary's prayer? Just loaded and laced right full of scripture from the Old Testament, which is very significant. It means that Mary uh, and Joseph were both students of the word. They, were, they knew uh, what scripture said. They didn't say, Gabriel, what are you talking about? Because they, they understood that they were the people of the promise. And the, um, uh, the cultural, historical, biblical context of the story is important as it teaches us about the characters and the response of the characters and, and what that means for us. Um, uh, read, I, I want to read the scripture, Romans 9. I think we're going to put it up to Romans 9. Paul's talking there. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. We've been studying through Scripture. And, how, you know, you could ask the question, well, how do, we, how do we get a real sense for what it would have been like for Joseph to be Joseph, and for Mary to be Mary, and to, and to hear what they heard, and to experience what they experienced, and to respond the way we, we, they responded? How do we get a, a, a sense for that, and a feel for that? What is the context? We've been studying the context. All those things I just read about there a moment ago. The patriarchs, the promises, the worship, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, all of those things. That's what Mary and Joseph were, were all about. That's their context. And their response uh, is understood in that, in that context. And we need to try to not just project ourselves back, but we need to try to put ourselves in that in their uh, their sandals that way, and uh, and learn from their response that way. Because I, I'm pretty sure that I'm absolutely sure that God's not going to do in your life what He did here. This was a one-time event. Okay, Savior has come. But I know that God's going to do similar things in your life and mine where he's going to come to you and, and, and reveal to you something he wants you to do that's going to be really difficult. 
um, when Joseph responded to this uh, vision, I mean, he was, he was subjecting himself to ridicule, right? You, I'm sure you've thought about that. You know about that. Uh, even later on in the gospel accounts, it shows up where they, they referred to Jesus. The, a lot of the, 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 the people, significant people in the, in the, in the community, they called him illegit- you know, illegitimate. They called him, you know, what did they mean by that? You know, these things didn't, didn't happen off in some little corner somewhere. This was public stuff, right? And it's pretty hard to hide a, a pregnancy, especially a full-term pregnancy. Um, you know, those things are, are, are they're out there. And, uh, and so Joseph and Mary, both of them, would have been subjected to a lot of stuff. And it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been an easy thing. I love it when God asks me to do easy things, you know, fun things. You know, let's have fun together, God. That's great, you know, when that happens. But sometimes God asks us to do really hard things too. And yeah, that's right. He knows us better than we know ourselves, right? Um, you, I hope I hope you've read uh, through. Uh, the Luke passages as well this Christmas. It's uh, Mary's Magnificat there. It's really worth spending some time um, pondering. Um, so verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what was the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So there's your anchor back into the Old Testament scriptures. Which prophet? Pardon? Isaiah the prophet, yes. Yep. You should call his name Jesus. Luke's account says, um, Unto you is born this day in, in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Um, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, prophet from the prophet Isaiah. Um, all the Old Testament through. In uh, you probably know this because it's been pointed out. It's worth pointing out that in uh, I, you might have mentioned this recently, Josh. Actually, that the word when it says in John one, John one, right? You've read that too. Uh, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That it's, tab- it's the word there is tabernacled, tabernacled among us. So all these things tie. Tied together. Verse 24 and 25. When, Jesus, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph's obedience came from and was a demonstration of his faith. As I say, it would have subjected him to ridicule. Um, either that him, um, Mary, and Joseph didn't practice restraint. Uh, or more likely, uh, considering the cultural, historical, biblical context, that someone had been unfaithful. Um, Mary and Joseph modeled faith for us, right? They modeled faith for us, but that's not the main point of this passage. And although it's important to say, Mary, Joseph are models of faith for us, what this is really all about is who Jesus is. 
And that's the thing we really want to take away from this. That's the thing we need to take away from this. Um, we didn't read the first 17 verses. What is the first 17 verses? I heard somebody say it. A genealogy. How do you feel about genealogies anyway? <laughs> Some, yeah, 2% of people like genealogies. Um, how do you feel about your own genealogy? How many of you have done genealogical, is that a word? I don't know. How many of you have done some genealogy work of, of, your, of your own families? Put your hand up high, because I'm really curious to know this. Put your hand up high and hold it up. So, okay, that's interesting. So probably maybe around maybe 20% of you, uh, 15, 20%, maybe. Uh, so uh, that's interesting, considering all the advertisement that they, that they do. Anybody find out any surprises? Yeah? So a few surprises in there, yeah? Surprises can be good. Not always. Not a big fan myself. <clears throat> um, reading genealogies. Have you ever noticed this? If you've done any ge genealogy, yeah, any of that stuff, research. Is genealogy genealogical? Is that a word? Is it? Okay, good. Um, have you ever noticed, if you've done anything like that, that other people are not nearly as interested in your family line as you might be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so in Scripture, we have all these genealogies. You know, uh, one of the things about the Bible and reading the Bible and studying the Bible is you, you find a lot of gene there's a lot of genealogy in here. Um, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, all kinds of genealogies. Genesis 5 has got genealogy. Genesis 10 has genealogies. You start you getting through, uh, if you make it through the book of Leviticus and you get in the book of Numbers, it's like several chapters of genealogies. The book of Numbers. The book of Ruth has genealogies. The book of Ezra we're going to be in next month has genealogies in it. And, and all through, and then you come into the New Testament, and what do you got? A genealogy. Now, why do you suppose that is? Pardon? Confirms the facts. The Bible is very interested in, in, in us understanding that we're dealing here with truth, and what's true, and what's real, and what happens, and what actually has happened. Some people, I, I think uh, sometimes we could be excused for thinking that God maybe just wanted to make the Bible tedious. Because can, it, it can feel that way when you're reading genealogies. It can feel tedious. Yeah, I, I don't know how much um, sustenance people have pulled out of genealogies. Um, I, I, I don't disagree with you, but I don't know if we see them that way uh, very often. I was surprised I heard a speaker a few years ago refer to uh, cultures in uh, other parts of the world where people can actually go back uh, uh, 15, 20 generations in their family naming their ancestors. Um, I bet you can't probably, most of you here can't even name your great-grandfather. I'm not trying to try to contest or anything, but I'm just saying it's, it's, uh, it's, it's likely. Um, genealogies. Um, 
we read Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It's about, oh, maybe a little more than a, a third of the chapter. And the first three, two-thirds of the chapter is genealogy. Chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Verse 2 says, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and, and then it goes on from there. Miss all the names. There, um, there are reasons, right? Christmas. Virgin birth, the birth of Jesus, the God-man. The one who is both God and man. His story starts with the genealogy because that's his genealogy. It says, it read in the passage, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that? This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus. And it goes through the names. Right down through Abraham. Down through David. Right down to verse 17. Connecting Jesus with the human race. And then it says, now this is how the birth of Jesus took place. And we have the Holy Spirit and the virgin birth of the divine Son of God. Connecting Forever, man and God. Forever. When you read about the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible goes to great lengths to make the point that it was a, a bodily resurrection and that he was still very human. He said, here are the scars it's me. Today, in heaven, there is a man who is also the Son of God. Now, it says, and you you uh, you might have read over this, and you might have you might have seen it. I don't know, but I. And I'm almost done here. But uh, verse, uh, where is it there? It says, um, verse 21. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Did you see that? 
his people. Who are his people? Some people say that, that that's, an eth- that's a matter of ethnicity. That Jesus was a Jew. And the Jews were his people. Like Paul in the prayer I read earlier about talking in the book of Romans. You know, I, I'd give anything. I'd, I would wish myself accursed if my people, my flesh and blood, could be saved. And, and people say, well, that's the Jews. But did Jesus come to save only Jewish people? Probably, if I was, there's any verse in the Bible that's better known than John 3.16, I don't know what it would be. But what's it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. God so loved the world. All right? Over in John's gospel, John chapter 1, it says, He came unto his own and his own received him not. And a lot of people read that and they go, that's talking about the Jews because they rejected their Messiah. He came unto his own and his own received him not. That's those, that's those Jewish people that because Jesus was a Jew and Jesus was a Jew. And that's important to know that Jesus was a Jew because the promises and all the covenants and everything we've been reading about, right? It's important. That, that context is important. But... But what does it say? He came into his own, John chapter 1, he came into his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him gave he the right, the power to become the children of God, even those who believe on his name. The genealogy plays an important part in this passage because of the connection. That's what this is all about. It's all about connection. We're going to put one more passage of Scripture up and, and, and we'll, uh, uh, Philippians 2, if you would, uh, Mitchell. It's, this passage in Matthew 1 is all about making the connection. The connection between you and God. Between humanity and and God. If you read through the scriptures, you know that there's a there's a gulf, there's a there's a there's a separation that has taken place. It happened when we fell, when our our first ancestors chose, rebelled against God, and and fell into what we call the, we call it the fall, fell into a state of what the Bible refers to as death, which is separation from God, cut off from God, and God made it his business to do something about that. The name of Jesus means God to the rescue. It's to restore that broken relationship, to connect people, to reconnect people with God. And how did he do that? He did it by sending his son to become one of us. He was, yes, he was a Jew, but he was a human being. That's the important part. He connects us. He represented us. He died for us restore our relationship with God. 
This passage makes it really, really clear, the identity of Jesus. I, I, I love this. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I, when it comes to the identity of Jesus, it's just it's so powerful. It says, have this mind among yourself, which was also, uh, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he, but he emptied himself. And he took upon himself the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He t- took upon himself our humanity. And then, of course, the birth of Jesus connected with the death of Jesus. Being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know how the passage ends. Why don't you stand and read the rest of it with me? Let's just uh, let's read it together. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The identity of Jesus as the the God-man, the man Jesus, the son of David, who is also the son of God. His identity means everything. His ability to save us depends on his identity, not just as divine, but as human and divine. Because he represents us. He became one of us in order to restore us back into right relationship with our Heavenly Father. A question as we close in prayer. Have you bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you recognized him as your Lord, your Savior, your King? Have you noticed how many Christmas songs talk about the king being born? The wise men came looking for the king that was born. Is he your king? Um, I'm going to ask you to pray with me, if you would. Lord, the Christmas celebrating that we do Lord, may it be all about you and not about anything else. And this morning, Lord, uh, I just think in this room today, uh, it's a good time to just reaffirm our our faith in you and, and to reaffirm our acceptance of you as our King and our Savior. God, I'm so thankful this morning for for your gospel and for the good news that you have come and that you came in such a way and the way that you came and the mystery of it and the majesty of it 
is more than we can even take in sometimes, but yet, Lord, it is glorious and it's amazing, it's wonderful, and we are so thankful that we can worship you today. And I pray and ask for anyone who may be in this room this morning that has not has not bowed their knee to you, Lord Jesus. And I'm just asking in your name right now, Lord Jesus, that you would convict in the heart of their need for you and convince them in faith in your immense desire to have them at peace with you and reconciled to you through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would even now be moving people's hearts to accept you as their Savior and their Lord. What a glorious time of year to be able to say, Jesus is my King. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. That all of the celebrating, it's all a testimony to that wonderful truth. I pray, Lord, that you would just cement that in our hearts this Christmas season and give us the the anointing of your spirit to share that message with others. Pray, Lord, for the service this Tuesday evening as many people come to uh, who, who don't normally take in church services or hear the gospel preached, but they're come this Tuesday night. We pray that even right now you'd be preparing their hearts to hear the gospel and, and that you would move powerfully um, this throughout this week and, and in the days ahead, Lord, uh, may you be honored and glorified in the lives of your people. And we thank you, Lord, today that we can be called your people and that you have saved us from our sin. And we thank you forever for being willing to leave your home in heaven, to come to this old, tired world to save us from our sin. We thank you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.